Hey guys, welcome to this very special edition of Pop Culture Confidential. I'm Christina Yerlingbiro. Thank you so much for joining me. This week, I got to talk to a group of women who have continuously done work that's blown me away. Now they've come together, not only to make a great, gripping true crime TV drama, but also a very important piece of work right now in our cultural moment. Writer Susanna Grant, producer Sarah Timberman, and actor Caitlin Deaver join us to talk about their new Netflix series, Unbelievable. A word of caution to listeners, this episode contains strong language about sexual assault and trauma, which some may find upsetting. Unbelievable is based on an explosive article from 2016 by ProPublica and The Marshall Project, written by T. Christian Miller and Ken Armstrong. The story was called An Unbelievable Story of Rape, and it went on to win the Pulitzer Prize. In 2008, 18-year-old Marie, raised in the foster care system, claimed that she was raped by an intruder in the middle of the night. A masked stranger had snuck into her bedroom, blindfolded her, and raped her at knife point for hours. But police detectives, her trusted foster moms, and friends began to doubt her story, and she began to doubt herself. She's shaken and traumatized as she has to recount her story again and again. Suddenly, her credibility is on trial, and she's even charged for filing a false police report. Years later, two female detectives from another state. On the show, they're played by Tony Collette and Merritt Weaver. They're following a lead of what seems to be a serial rapist on the loose, and connections to Marie's case are made. Unbelievable raises so many questions about how victims are treated and how women are not believed. The TV series is created by Susanna Grant, who's written one of the screenplays that I most admire, Aaron Brockovich. It's directed by Olive Kitteridge's Lisa Cholodenko, produced by journalist Katie Couric, and Sarah Timberman, who we know from Justified and Masters of Sex. And an absolutely incredible performance by actor Caitlin Deaver, who we last saw this summer in another stellar performance in Olivia Wilde's Booksmart. Caitlin Deaver talked to me about this powerful series and why it was important for her to be a part of it. I think this is said all the time, but um, someone was sexually assaulted and someone made a comment like, oh, well, did you see what she was wearing? She was asking for it. And it's that sort of thing that like I, that, that definitely has to be changed. Um, and I think Unbelievable will definitely do that as well. We will get to that conversation in a little bit, but first I talked to creator Susanna Grant and producer Sarah Timberman. We talked about what they learned about rape trauma making this show, why women are not believed, or rather that women are believed, but what they're saying is just not important in our culture. We talked about filming sex scenes with zero voyeurism and how the Me Too movement was underway just as they were finishing this show. And we also talked about the very powerful opening of the series, how we see Marie first getting assaulted by the rapist and then being questioned again and again and again by police detectives, nurses, and others. And it just feels like another assault. So let's start at the beginning. Before the assault. Can you tell me everything that happened? Honey, you need to be more specific. I know this is hard, but I need to ask you some questions about what happened. Marie, you need to know. 
I just want to go over the incident once more. Sorry, we need it for our records. But I already told you everything. You're sure? I don't, it's, it's confusing. I wanted to go home, and they just kept asking me the same question over and over again. How come your story doesn't add up? How come people don't believe you? I'm pretty positive that it happened. Pretty positive or positive. No signs of forced entry, no DNA. Not a single neighbor saw or heard a thing. You think Marie made up the attack? What is this? This is not what you just said. Maybe I blacked it out. Police haven't shared any information except to say the claims she made were in fact fabricated. Why would you do that? Why would you freak us out like that? It's sick is what it is. You're sick, you are. Police say a masked assailant broke in while the victim was sleeping. I told the truth the first time. You're saying that was true? So why did you tell the police it wasn't? Even with good people, if the truth is inconvenient, they don't believe it. No matter how much someone says they care about you, they just don't. I caught up with writer Susanna Grant and producer Sarah Timberman as they were in Europe to talk about the new series. Thank you so much for this incredibly important piece of work. And, and I have to say thank you to all the journalism that, you know, ProPublica and things like that that led to this, which is in short supply yes, today. Yes, yes. Um, and, uh, but that's really doing something for women's stories everywhere. We read it every day. So, um, Susanna, you wrote one of the most iconic opening scenes in a movie ever. We studied Erin Brockovich in film. <laughs> in, in a matter of minutes, um, we knew her struggles. We knew yes. her personality. This one is, again, just an incredible opening, and it's a real gut punch. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on what did you want us to feel? Hmm. I wanted people to be inside of Marie's experience as she's telling it, but at the same time, I think it's, Im- I, I thought it was important to show, um, as, as the article did, that there was room for doubt in how she tells her story. Um, so understand that she was, I wanted somebody, to, people to understand that she was someone who had been through something traumatic, and yet all of the um, all the information you get about the assault comes out through her narrative of it. So as the they go on, the police go on to question her. It was important that there be some basis for their questioning, so that they aren't just ridiculous villains, but there are people who made a really tragic mistake but weren't horrible people in their core. You know, so that's sort of a roundabout way of saying you want to be completely engaged, but that there's an element of her that's elusive as there is about anyone who's struggling with something. Right. Um, Sarah, she's assaulted again and again. I mean, that's how we feel when we're watching that, the beginning of it. Um, What did you learn about what that kind of um, questioning that she goes through does to a victim? Well, it's it's interesting because we've... um, met a a range of people involved in this kind of work and some people who are former detectives and we were just discussing the fact that um there are people actively looking to implement reforms in policing that it's common practice to have to tell your story over and over and over again as Susanna depicted it in our show but that it doesn't need to be that way and there are people who are looking to streamline that process because it's something that 
we talk about a lot, but the experience of being a victim of sexual assault is seems to be amplified by the investigation itself, and that it's, as Susanna has said, it's it's a second assault. And um, I think the show provided us such a great opportunity to really examine what that looks like. And Susanna, I think, wrote that first episode so beautifully and taking the time to, very in a very straightforward fashion, go step by step by step and, and to let us experience in a very visceral way what, um, what it is to tell such a to share such a traumatic experience with total strangers over and over and over again and how hard it is to tell the people that you know best in the world. Um, it's uh, something that, that some of us have been fortunate enough not to experience and you know I'll never look at this as a crime in the same way again having no. worked on this show. I can believe it. No, you really see it's an incredible opening as well as Caitlin. I mean, you just see her being worn down in a way that, I mean, I've never seen that on film before. And you completely understand why she just says, I can't, I can't do this mm-hmm. anymore. We've <laughs> talked about the fact that, the, that um, when, when we screened it for a large audience and arrived at the point where she's asked to write her statement down, there was kind of a gasp mm-hmm. in the room. Um, which I just think is um, a tribute to the fact that Susanna, I, I feel like she got this experience. Um, she captured it. Um, I don't know if you guys have read Soraya Chamali. She had a book called Rage Becomes Her. I talked to no. her. Um, oh, I've, I've been yeah, hearing about it. Yeah. I just want, I, with a quote when, when, that I think was really interesting, she says, even when men do believe women, they dismiss the importance of what women are saying, that the Trump tapes were the number one trending topic for millions of women, but they didn't even make the top five for men. And this type of believing a woman, our friends, our families, you know, Weinstein, or Kelly, all these people... What what do you attribute to? I, I actually have this theory that people do believe exactly they just what I why why what don't quote care exactly. It's uh, I, th- I I I I mean I have no way to prove this, but I think a lot of those senators who said they didn't believe the woman who said that our Supreme Court justice had raped her. Yeah, right. yeah I think they believed it, but thought, you know what, the dude was seventeen. Get it was a long time ago. I don't really, I got a busy day, and, and I, like, can't we talk about something else? And, and I, I think also the, think that I don't think it's a function only of men not caring. Yeah. I think it's a function of people not caring. Um, culturally, we culturally. haven't given this the importance it deserves. We haven't looked at it carefully and said, no, this is really life-altering mm-hmm. what happens, and it's not something you get over it's something you carry with you actually i think i just quoted the show (laughs) but it's uh and and so the idea of being able to create something where you can go through that journey with something and that's what's so wonderful about this medium is that once you're engaged in a in a dramatic rendition of something you really have an avatar it's happening to you too and the idea of being able to create something that would that would give the audience that feeling of going through this process, maybe they'll care more, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe. That's the hope. That's the hope, right. 
Um, the detective part of the story is amazing as well. Um, I want to know a little bit about your thinking of making the narrative of that story out of the perspective of these two women. Well, part of that came from the article. You know, that really, the article came with a beautiful two-hander structure um, written by written two in, yeah, incredible two men. men. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and a lot of people ask us about the gendered nature of it and I always want to point out that it was two male reporters who approached this mm -hmm. story with tremendous curiosity, compassion, and a huge amount of care right. uh, that made it possible at all. Mm -hmm. So it's not something that is the purview of women at all. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's everybody's story. You just have to be curious enough about it. That said, there are not many women as, who are serving as detectives mm -hmm. on, you know, police forces in Colorado and as it happened, here here were two women who were extraordinarily good at their jobs. Or in their own way. It's, it's not just them, mm -hmm. but everyone on their team really went above and beyond the job description. There's a scene in, in the show in which crime analysts from six different police precincts get together and share information. Um, you know, over beers and, and pool one night. That's true. Those crime analysts in that part of the country realized that there was no system in place for them to share information. And, and they realized what an obstacle that was to getting their work done. So they set it up themselves. It was a completely informal, unstructured process, and it was absolutely essential mm -hmm. to solving this well, you're mentioning that the two um, original journalists were male, but in this particular project, you are an incredible group of women. The two of you, it's Katie Couric, it's um, Lisa Cholodenko, it's the actresses. Um, how, have you thought of how you depict rape, sexual violence, and um, from another perspective? Absolutely, but I do want to point out that um, one of the three directors is Michael Dinner, right. who's a, who did a, brought a tremendous sensitivity, and so again, we're not the only ones no. who can do it. <laughs> <laughs> we're not excluding them. Exactly. Men. But, I'm thinking, um, but did, you yes. have, did you have some I discussions? Thought, yeah. Yes, I thought very clearly from the outset that nothing about the uh, depiction of the assaults could be um, done in an objective way, even if you, even if you are are. Depicting it in an objective, from an objective viewpoint that is not exploitative, I think just that viewpoint is by definition exploitative. So it seemed really essential mm -hmm. for it to be very subjective. Almost everything you see in the two assaults that, that uh, we see the most of, almost every shot you see is from their eyes, their two shots of their faces, one shot from each of their faces. But at that point, you're so in their experience that those shots feel subjective. So that was really clear from the get-go. And, and those were both those scenes were both shot by Lisa Cholodenko. Mm -hmm. And she did a beautiful job mm -hmm. in really communicating the visceral personal experience of it um, in a way that is, has zero voyeurism to it. Mm -hmm. That was what was so important from the, from the very outset. And you, it must have been sort of at the height of the Me Too movement when you guys were working on this. Well, I we actually we started before, before. We, we, even before, a, yeah. like a solid year before. Did the it of the Me Too impact movement. you? I mean, were you still working? Did you? Unfortunately, it's a story um, that was relevant three years ago when we first came across this, the 
piece mm-hmm. and is relevant today Still. and was relevant a hundred years ago. So, mm. and you as a producer have, I mean, this is a question that you know people were asking in Venice and all. Would you consider how how do you think about working with people who have been? I mean, would you work with a Polanski or with a the Allen or something like that? Or I how think, are your thoughts post Me Too? I think these are those are individual case by case decisions that people need to make. You know, it's I don't think there are blanket statements, but there are things you have to think really deeply about. And we've worked with um, I've worked with some actors who have made deliberate decisions not to work with. Uh, at least one of the directors you just mentioned, and I respect that. Mm-hmm. And there were that said, there were actors we were considering for this show, and then found out that they had um, had yeah. some sexual assault in their past, and that yeah, was there was the, a couple of crew, people in crew positions, and we just didn't feel yeah comfortable with that. Obviously, you can't know everybody's history, no, and nor nor do I presume to sit in judgment of another person. Um, but when somebody has, <laughs> uh, sexual assault Clear. on their record confirmed, that was not somebody who yeah, belonged we involved didn't. in this project. Right. Susanna, you've made some incredible depictions of what we're talking about, Aaron Brockovich, and you've written about Anita Hill, and in this one about women who, who certainly are in different ways judged for their background, their mm-hmm. appearance. appearance. Um, why was, has this been interesting, an, an interest of you for so long? That's so funny. I had never thought of that as an interest of mine until this moment. Okay, well. (laughs) (laughs) That people have been judged. The one thing I've thought about is that um, I've I've been drawn to people who find themselves at a real fork in the road when it comes to power imbalances in our in our Mm -hmm. culture, and that they can either move forward with the power that they know that they have, or they can hang back and deny their power, and all of them say, I can't hang back and deny what I have to say and my perspective and, and what I can bring to this world. And that's often upsetting to both people and and a structure. Um, and maybe the, maybe the judgment comes after that. Maybe that's a secondary response to somebody say, stepping up and saying, I see something wrong here, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to be silent about it. But making and making this project, what sort of what can we do in terms of law enforcement and victims? And then we'll, well start so, with that. What well, have you learned? I mean, certainly, just just I'm going back to your last question because we did make decisions not to hire people where there had been mm-hmm. allegations of sexual assault brought out publicly. But we also discovered, and this is just, you know, not an answer to your question directly, but after the fact, we really tried to sort of um, create a, foster a sense on this, uh, you know, to make this a safe set and to make people feel really comfortable. It's incredibly sensitive material. And after the fact, we discovered that a couple of people had had difficult interactions with other people on our crew. And... It, I think, was a lesson for both of us in realizing you have to go the extra mile and that people won't necessarily come to the people in charge, that you have to go look for, you know, you have to make it really clear that you're open to hearing what's on people's minds, that they're, even if you say that, people might not come to you because there's a, a long history of, of, of 
negative, you know, of, of fallout for people who say that I was harassed or say that so they were assaulted. interesting, this was also just in terms of production, you mm-hmm. got things. We, there were yeah, a couple of people we spoke to after the fact and um, having, having learned that there had been difficult interactions on our set and Sarah and I uh, said to one woman who was on the crew, we said, this was not your responsibility, but for our information, what were the obstacles to mm-hmm. your coming to us? Um, because we'd like to eliminate them. And she said, I have only seen that lead to one thing getting fired. Um, So, you know, uh, appreciating that there's a giant wall between you and, um, and the person you're trying to reach and that it's, it's to you, if you're a person of any, with any power in a situation, it's to you to cross that divide. Not, it's not the responsibility of the person on the other side of it. And I, and I think that, that in the real world that applies to law enforcement too. It's, it's, you know, there are ways to go the extra mile as those cops in Colorado did. There, there, there are better outcomes possible in terms of the investigation of rape and the prosecution of rape. The statistics are terrible, but they could be better. And, you know, there are ways to arrive at that. Just if you process rape kits, you learn a lot, and a lot of police departments don't process oh, yeah, them. Do. So there are things that we can do. It's not, it's it's a difficult problem, but it's not completely intractable, and there has to be a willingness. It goes back to the point people need to care. So with any luck, the show will. But if you care, there are easy steps to take. You know, processing rape kits is an Easy I didn't even know that that was such a yeah. issue. I mean, that's a yes. great cover story and it's in the led Atlantic. To it's some really tens of thousands oh of kits. Yeah. Yes, and and as they have, as the few areas that have processed them have have done so, they've they've learned really valuable information about the people they're they're chasing. So, mm-hmm. so there are small but significant things that can be done that can move the move the ball down the field mm-hmm. in a in a really constructive way. What would you say to someone in that position about coming forward or going to the police? Or If going to the police initially feels impossible, there are a lot of other resources. And, and I know within the U.S., um, whenever there's a large cultural event, for instance, in the wake of the Kavanaugh hearings, mm-hmm. the um, sexual assault hotline the national sexual assault hotline had a 200 percent increase in their calls so as these things get aired people become aware they reach out and and i think the more people are aware that there are resources beyond law enforcement and resources that can help someone with law enforcement um maybe the the better people will feel but i would never presume to tell somebody what to do right yes but i think it's i think that that's probably a hurdle going yourself to law enforcement just to know that you can go to to yes and if you're uncomfortable doing that you can go to you know end violence against women international there are a number of fantastic organizations yeah thank you so much for this thank you 22-year-old Caitlin Deaver already has 12 years of acting behind her. She starred on Justified, Last Man Standing, and In Beautiful Boy. When we met, I mentioned that she reminded me a lot of a young Jodie Foster, and apparently I wasn't the first one to make that connection. Caitlin Deaver is talented and humble, and she's most certainly on her way. 
This summer, she starred in Olivia Wilde's brilliant teen comedy Booksmart as a queer high school student navigating her friendships, her crushes, and the last night of high school. Now she's turned in an incredibly powerful performance as Marie. I know this is hard, but I need to ask you some questions about what happened. He tied my hands. He said if I screamed, he'd kill me. No signs of forced entry. Doors and windows were locked. No DNA. Not a single neighbor saw or heard a thing. He brought a blindfold, but nothing to tie her with. Would a shoelace even hold her? You think Marie made up the attack? I'm pretty positive that it happened. Pretty positive or positive? They just kept asking me the same question. How come your story doesn't add up? I wanted to go home. I don't have a victim here. It's bogus. She made it up. In our interview, we talked about playing this difficult role and what it took, about her generation and the Me Too movement, and about starring in projects with many women behind the scenes, both in Booksmart and Unbelievable. I started by asking Caitlin what she's learned about repeated questioning and what that does to a victim. Well, all of it was um, uh, a, a really big learning experience for me, and it still is. I'm still learning from it every day, and I, that's one of my hopes for people watching it is that they'll, they'll learn, learn a lot and that it'll be very informative. Um, but, yeah, I... I it's such a that was extremely shocking to me that 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 just just the 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 protocol for these kinds of cases is that you you are you have someone who is sexually assaulted and then they literally have to um tell the cop the entire story once and then they have to go to the police department and tell the story again and then at the police department they have to write it down and then they go from the police department to the hospital and they have to get their entire body examined and be be touched and and take their clothes off and and have photos taken of their body and get their blood drawn and 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 it was just Having to do those scenes in particular, I, I really realized, oh, she just is getting like something constantly taken from her, mm-hmm. too. Um, totally worn down. Yeah. And then to go from the hospital, and then you have to tell the story again at the hospital, and then your interviews after that. And so I just, it, it's some, what I've learned, I mean, I've learned literally about that. I didn't know that that was um, the way sexual assault cases are are handled. Um, and then I've also just learned that this is a kind of thing that doesn't leave a person, and that it 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 never leaves a person. And and also, the the assault runs through your mind, and we definitely get a glimpse of that in in the series. Um, but I also think that. Th- people who have to go through this also have to live in in fear almost for the rest of their lives and it's it's a it's un, unbearable and and completely tragic and i can't even imagine what that must be like and it breaks my heart Susanna was saying at the beginning of of the i mean to leave a little bit of doubt in the viewer, I mean, just so you know that the police office aren't complete animals who mm-hmm. want those doubts coming up, and also this thing about memory trauma when she's being assaulted in this way, you know, what that does to a victim's memory. Right. How do you play that as an actor? 
Yeah, I knew that um, we had talked a lot about memory trauma, Susanna uh, and Lisa and I, we really talked a lot about it. And, um, you know, when something so um, shocking and, 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 and traumatic happens like that, you know, you can't, you can't, everything is jumbled. Every, every part about it is jumbled and it's foggy and you can't remember. And also the pressure, I think, you know, it's like when you're, when you're a little kid and I, I always thought about this, like being questioned by, and this is actually a literal feeling I had in the room with the actors that when they would ask me these questions, I knew what my truth was. And yet I felt like I was in trouble for whatever reason, because a higher authority is is doubting me. Mm And it made me nervous and recoil and, and get defensive. And I think that that was um, a really natural instinct that I had in the room, literally. But I didn't even plan on um, plan for that. Um, so a lot, of, a lot of it was actually, um, you know, I don't think there is a real formula in, in approaching that. Um, I did know that I, I wanted to understand Marie's life before the assault because I think that she's had to undergo just unthinkable tragedy in her life. I think she's had to, you know, in and out of being in and out of foster care and um, having the life that she's had, she's had to really, um, she's had to just be tough and, and, Mm -hmm. and she's suffered so much. And I think that there was something that really stood out to me in the book that I read in, early on in prep. Um, there was she, Marie discussed her on and off switch, um, and she dis, she she talked about it as as if it was just a literal switch in her mind that she was able to go in and and turn it off whenever mm-hmm. she was feeling. Um, really really sad or, or at her lowest po- she was at her lowest point or she was feeling really angry or upset or frustrated she was able to just go in and turn it off doing you that playlists i understand i i true? yes yeah. yes i do i, I, read that I do and, and actually, what was your playlist for well i had a lot of i actually wanted to um because it was set in uh 2008 i sort of wanted to i went back and like uh googled like the hot um like the hot 100 of, of 2008, like what would be on the radio. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that Marie was necessarily a person who like was super into music. Um, but I also just thought about, oh, if she were driving in a car or like in a grocery store, what would be playing? And I was um, I was listening to a lot of Avril Lavigne, actually. Okay. Um, <laughs> it, it, normally, I, I um, like for a, a more dramatic uh a story or a role that I'm doing, I would normally need something a bit more, um, like, uh, I don't know, darker emotion, music, yeah. emotion, emotionally driven lyrics and, and darker and darker, <laughs> um, songs. But I think that this story was already taking care of that. So I almost needed something to like, I understand. Like, it was liven me up a little bit, but now. still keep me in the in the in the air in, in the, the in that time. Yeah. yeah. So the Me Too movement. Um, I mean, you're young, and and it must it must have been 
pretty good part of your career, I mean, that this has been going on. Um, how would you say that your generation has responded to, you know, the stories that maybe older actresses have come out and told, um, and women, not just actresses yeah, in general? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of people coming together and standing up for each other, mm-hmm. and also I think we're... I think we're really, really at a point where we're finally starting to listen to one another and to communicate um, and to share our stories and to be there for one another. Um, But I also think the older generation has really paved a way for the younger generation as well. Do you think that that your generation will believe victim stories more after all this reckoning? Yes, I, I think so. I definitely think so. Um, I think there's a, I think there's been a lot of change in the past um, couple of years. I've even noticed um, just in, in my own industry, and I know I know this is happening everywhere, but just in my um, industry, I, I think I've seen a, a, a huge change in the way sets are even um, conducted now. Yeah, Suzanne was talking about that. I really have noticed a huge difference. Um, I just I just did a project where an intimacy coordinator called me on the phone, which is brilliant. It's and it was we weren't even doing and anything. They coordinate sex. Yeah, yeah, and and that's really that it's it's really incredible that that's we're finally getting to a place where we're we're really making we're not just saying we want everyone to be comfortable. We're really making sure everyone is comfortable. What does this working with women particularly in these difficult projects what do they bring to the table how has it been different i th- the first thing that comes to mind are are these sort of um, more intimate scenes that require a, a closed set so for unbelievable um, having women there when you have to shoot a, an a, an assault scene it i think it it really took a lot of the pressure off of, of me and I felt um, more um, uh, comfortable because I think women are just naturally comforting. Um, I think it's in our nature. But I also think that, um, you know, with Booksmart, you know, working with Olivia Wilde, same thing on that. We had to shoot a, a, a love scene and Olivia... Which is a gorgeous love oh. scene for all of whoever yeah. ever been a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so too. I, um, yeah, she, Olivia did such an incredible job with that. Um, but yeah, even with that, you know, Olivia had been on um, all kinds of different sets and um, took a lot of things that she um, did want on her set and things that she did not want. And I think she... Um, was able to pull and make uh, pull from all of the experiences she's had as an actor to create the best environment for an actor um, on set. So she she created a very closed set, um, and again, I felt very comfortable in doing the scene with Diana and um, who, who's my scene partner in in, in that uh, scene. And it's just, I think that just in that area, it's it's. Um, um, it makes a huge difference. But I also think that like I've worked with equal amount of um, almost like I, I've worked with a, a lot of women in the past couple mm-hmm. of years and it's incredible. And I, and I also in the future, I want to continue to um, Which I think is this. another thing for your generation because I don't think that 
I mean, that certainly changed the amount of women that have been able to come into the industry. Right, right. I mean, I, I, I worked with um, Catherine Bigelow, which was like a huge deal at that for me. I just, she's, she's, um, I mean, talk about someone paving the way. She's, you know, she's an incredible woman and I'm so happy that I've, 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 I know her and that I got to work with her and, and learn from her. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I think, um, we also had a, a male director, um, direct the, this, the next three after Lisa mm -hmm. Cholendenko directed the first three. Um, and I think it, it did definitely, um, we, we got a different approach to those episodes, but I also think tonally it all came together mm -hmm. so nicely. And I think that, um, I think, I think men and women should have the equal opportunity and so i think we need, but we have to like for women we have to make up for a lot of lost time now um which is why i want to continue to work with as as many women as i can well, i was oh. comparing you earlier to jodie foster i think you I, everyone that is so cool everyone keeps saying oh, that they? you're like well, the then... fourth person to tell me that Wait, it, i'm mean, gonna fall out of my chair but there's something i mean there's just this a vulnerability with just this fierce acting chops that, oh my god that thank you from you know and she could go from something like taxi driver well but off the point but how do, <laughs> how do you choose your roles because now they must be sending you a few things to choose from right um, uh, yeah it's it's really cool to sort of be in that place as as an actor i'm still auditioning for a lot of projects i'm not getting a lot of um, straight offers, but there are, um, don't worry, that's scripts. Gonna I know, <laughs> but there's, has, there's, a, there's, there, I get sent scripts a, a lot. And I think when I get scripts like unbelievable to my email that are, that, that is automatically a story I want to be a part of because it's a story that I uh, haven't, um, heard about before. It's a story that not a lot of people have heard about, it's a, a chance for me to shed light on an important subject matter and also shed light on a story that is sort of somewhat buried. That's, that kind of thing is, is really exciting to me. So, and also just, I want to continue to play um, strong, um, uh, strong women in, in the things that I do. And also, I always look for honesty and I always look for truth and... Um, this script was that for me. And uh, there was no doubt in my mind that I, I really, really had to be a part of it. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank <laughs> you. Thank you so much to Susanna Grant, Sarah Timberman, and Caitlin Deaver. Unbelievable premieres on Netflix on September 13th. Don't miss it. And please, if you're a victim of sexual assault, there is help to get out there. So please look for it in your respective countries. And thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have a minute, please rate us. It really helps others to find the show. This episode was edited by Tom Hansen, and I'm Christina Jörling-Biro. I'm Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. 
Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty Podcast.